This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay, and I'm so grateful you are joining us today. I'm really excited about our guest today. We have four-time Olympic champion Sonia Richards-Ross on the show. Sonia is someone I've wanted to have on this podcast for several years. So it's always so exciting when guests I've had my eye on for a long time are able to make it on the show. Sonia ran the anchor leg in the 4x400 relay to win gold in Athens, Beijing, and London. She's also the 400 meter champion at the London Olympics in 2012. She retired from competitive running in 2016 and now she has her hands on a lot of things. She is a commentator, a sports commentator for NBC. You probably hear her behind the mic at big running events. She is recently has joined the Real Housewives of Atlanta. So I had lots of fun questions about that. She's a Nike ambassador an iFit trainer, and she's also the founder of Mommy Nation. This platform was to create a safe space for black mom bloggers to share their experiences and become a virtual support system for them. You can learn more about that when you go to mommynation.com. We cover a lot in this episode, and it was a true honor to talk to Sonia on the podcast. All right, friends, if you have not checked out Lagoon Pillows yet, you got to check it out. Sleep is the most important thing to do when you are training for marathons, races. Actually, just in general, sleep is so important, right? And the cool thing about Lagoon Pillows is you get a pillow that is custom for you. So you fill out a two-minute survey and they line you up with the pillow that is right for your needs. Whether you're a back sleeper, a side sleeper, if you sleep hot, if you want a super soft pillow, a more sturdy pillow. And I am very obsessive with my sleep and I'm very particular about it. And this pillow is the best pillow I've ever used. Mine is the Fox. Go to lagoonsleep.com slash Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y, and use the code Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y, for 15% off your first order. Go get some good sleep with Lagoon. All right, friends, if you enjoy this episode, please leave us a quick rating and review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to be entered to win a pair of free Gooder sunglasses. Go do it now. And every month I pick a new winner. All right. Enjoy my conversation with Sonia Richards-Ross. All right. Today on All Have Another, we have Sonia Richards-Ross on the podcast. Thanks for joining us, Sonia. Of course, Lindsay. Thanks for having me. Really excited to have you on the show. Are you joining us from Atlanta? Are you home? I am. I had a big last week. I was in Vegas and I was in Virginia, but I got home yesterday. I'm back in Atlanta. <laughs> nice. I saw that on your travels, you were able to bring your husband and your son with you. Was that fun? Yeah, it was amazing. You know, I am. I do a lot of travel for work, and sometimes I'm like, you know what? I just want to spend time with you guys also. So it was really great balance. I had a lot of fun, and yeah, it was just awesome. Just what I needed. <laughs> well, you have so much going on right now. You have your commentating. You have Mommy Nation. You have Real Housewives. What else are you doing right now? <laughs> There's got to be more that I'm missing here. <laughs> Well, I mean, so of course, like you said, I'm I'm also a wife and a mom, which is also a full-time role. 
Um, and then I am still an NBC uh, commentator. I work with Nike as a brand ambassador, so I, so I do about five or six appearances for them every year, which is always really fun. I'm also an iFit ambassador, so I usually do one really dope workout series um, maybe once or twice a year with them. And then I do some influencing stuff. So yeah, I keep myself really busy, Lindsay. <laughs> Seriously. Okay. Yeah. I did see the iFit thing. Let's start there. What do you do for like workouts now? Like what is your life like as far as training and, and staying fit at this point in your, in your life? Yeah. You know, it's not anything like it used to be. Um, and I am now at peace with the fact that, you know, my life has shifted and, my priorities have also shifted. And so I try to work out at least three times a week. Um, I have like my iFit stuff downstairs. I have a treadmill and I also have the vault that I can work out in front of. Um, and then sometimes my husband and I will just do fun workouts. We have a gym in the house. So between that and running behind my five-year-old son, you know, that's kind of how I stay active. And then I just, I'm also really good about my eating. So I eat really healthy, drink a lot of water. And I think that's been my secret to staying looking like I'm mostly fit. <laughs> you do look fit. Oh my gosh. I was like, I wonder what kind of workouts she's still keeping up. <laughs> your, you. your healthy eating that came from your dad, right? Like from way back when I loved yeah. reading in your book about how he used to make your smoothies and really make sure you were dialed in on that. Yes. Yeah, my dad was a huge influence on my diet and that part of my career. My dad always used to say, like, we're going to get our energy, our power from the earth. And so he would juice all kinds of different drinks for me while I was competing. Um, my dad's also pescatarian, so I'm, veg I'm not vegetarian, but I don't eat red meat or, um, or pork or anything like that. So that's a huge influence that my dad had on me was to like, you know, you can, you can have the fuel that you need to be great by eating the best foods. Um, and that really helped to keep us healthy for the most part during my career. Okay, let's walk all the way back to like your dad, because your dad is such a huge part of your story. You're both your mom and your dad. Um, but him yeah. being your mentor and guiding you throughout, you know, from the time you were seven years old all the way throughout your career. So can you share a little bit about your upbringing with your parents? Yeah. So, you know, I was born in Kingston, Jamaica, which I just have the fondest memories of my childhood. Um, and my mom and dad were just always the best and just so attuned to what, you know, what they, what we wanted to be, who we wanted to be. And they just made every sacrifice, uh, to give us the opportunities to excel in life. And so I remember we moved to the States when I was 12 after I had already started running when I was seven years old in Jamaica and really developing as a young track star in a country where track and field is the most popular sport. <laughs> so I always say I felt like I got the best of both worlds by starting out young there, learning discipline, hard work, being a part of a team, and then coming to the United States and getting to work with some of the best coaches. Um, it was just, you know, a dream career, but my parents were so instrumental. My my dad turned the garage into a gym. My mom used to go to the weight room with me. My mom ended up managing my career, traveling all over the world with me. It's like, there's just, I have so much gratitude, especially now that I'm a mom myself for all that they did to help me to achieve my goals. Your mom is so cute. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I watched an episode of Real Housewives to just get a like, little catch up and see what's going on in your life. And I know that you guys recorded that season, probably what, like, when did you record that season that's out right now? The season 14 was last year. So, uh, 20, we recorded what years now? 20, 
2020, I guess. 2020, like early 2022, maybe. <laughs> Gosh, that's so crazy. It's so crazy that we're not, when we're watching it, it's like, this is not what's happening in my life right now. No, no, it's like old, old stuff. And we actually just wrapped season 15 in February. So that one will be out soon. So it's crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Your mom, though, I'm like, I love I, the one episode I watched. I'm like, she is so fun. And she's so talk to us about like her being your manager. <laughs> like, how did that part of your life work out? Yeah. So like I said, my mom and dad were always so heavily vested in my career. They came to every track meet, came to practices, did all the things. And I remember when I was going to go pro, my first season, I had a traditional agent and I didn't have the best experience with my agent. And my mom was actually in travel. My mom is a travel agent, um, one of her jobs. And so I was like, mom, like between you and dad, my dad who does all the research and knew all the things and my mom who had the expertise of travel, I was like, why don't you just manage my career? Um, because I felt like I knew that they would always have my best interest at heart. And so she left her job and started managing me full time. And, you know, we did 13 years together on the track and she still actually manages me a part of my businesses now. So it's just been, it was just, I just, it just blows my mind that she have that much faith <laughs> to just leave her job and just come with me. But it was the experience of a lifetime and certainly built a bond between us that can't be broken. Okay. I'm super curious though. Like, cause you know, with your family where you're like, there's really no filter, right? So anything you're thinking, it's just like out there. Whereas like, right. <laughs> so Especially like, my mom. <laughs> was that hard ever? Like, don't tell me what to do or, you know what I mean? Oh yeah. I mean, you know, and, and to be very honest and transparent, Lindsay, there were, there were some growing pains because you go from being the child and then you become the boss. And that's a little bit tricky too, especially with a Jamaican mama who <laughs> speaks her mind and has always has a lot to say. It was, you know, we definitely went through some, some difficult patches, but you know, our foundation and love right there as a family is, has always been so strong that we've been able to push through, but I, I don't want to make it seem like it was always cupcakes and rainbows. There definitely were some challenges. And, um, but we learned how to work with each other in a way that I think was uplifting for both of us. I got used to, okay, my mom's going to do this. She's going to say that that's just her. Um, and I have to also be able to express myself in a way that's respectful, but also helps me to achieve my goals as well. So yeah, it was a little bit of a balancing act, but we figured it out. <laughs> Are you all still living in the same house? We are. We are. The nine of us are still here. Okay. Tell everybody what that looks like. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So after COVID, um, so we all lived in Texas. I went to school at the University of Texas. My mom and dad moved there while I was in college. My sister also went to college there. And so we all lived in Austin about five minutes apart from each other. And then when COVID hit, we were always at my mom's house. You know, we were always together because we kind of decided to quarantine together um, because, you know, we didn't want to be apart. And so after having that experience, I had the opportunity to come to Atlanta to actually host an entertainment news magazine show with Will Packer. And I loved Atlanta. And I was like, I think I, I think I want to move. So I was telling my family, I'm like, mom, you know, I really want to go to Atlanta and I would love for you to come. And she's like, no, if, you, if you're done in Austin, I'm going to Florida. <laughs> I want to retire in Florida. I'm like, you're not at retirement age yet. Like you need to come to Atlanta. And so I convinced my whole family to come. But what we decided was just in case they didn't want to live here full time, I said, let's get one big house, live together. We basically did it during COVID. 
And then after a year or two, if you guys love it, you know, you guys can get a place here. So we're now at that point. We're about a year and a half in. So they're looking <laughs> for homes in this area. Um, but it had been quite a ride living in the same house with nine people, with my mom, my dad, my sister, her husband, her two sons, my husband, and my son, nine of us. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, yeah, but I was thinking, you know, so listeners who might not know, Sonia has been on The Real Housewives of Atlanta. Like, that probably brought, like, an, a fun mm-hmm. element to your storyline and, like, your part of that season. Absolutely. You know, the producers loved it. Like, I think it's very rare to see a multi-generational family living together and just all the dynamics of, you know, three women who are very like strong minded, very opinionated with our husbands and our kids. And so I thought it was really fun. I actually got a a lot of really good feedback from people um, who were like, wow, like I, you know, I never imagined that that would be a possible way to live, you know, and they were really inspired by us. And, you know, a lot of people who were excited to get a glimpse into what this was like for us. So it was really, really awesome to share this part of our journey with the world. Well, you know, I feel like it's talked about a lot these days too, like how we are now raising kids kind of on our own and not having this like multi-generational communal village that there used to always be. So what did that play a big part in that decision for you? Absolutely. I mean, even now, like I tell my mom and dad, I'm like, you know, I, I, I'm hoping they stay really close because there's nothing like for me, especially as a working mom who travels a lot to be able to leave my son in the same circumstances and situation that he's used to being in the same house. Even if his dad has to travel, grandma's here, his cousins are here. And so his life doesn't get disrupted much, you know, especially because, like I said, I'm always kind of on the go. So that brings me a lot of joy and peace, you know, especially knowing that it's family that's watching him and caring for him, that I know love him almost as much as I do. And so that definitely plays a big part. And it's also a big struggle you'll see in season 15 like Ross is like Ross is ready for them to go. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, a little bit longer, a little bit longer. <laughs> and, you know, that's mainly because of I'm a little bit selfish with the support that I have, you know, from my parents. Oh, my gosh. OK, last housewives question. And then we for sure have to get into your career, um, your running career. What did that even look like? Like when you're laughing, who's is somebody hearing you tell the story? I know my husband is at the door. I think he heard me talking about him. (laughs) How did that, how did it even happen? Like, how did you get approached or did they pitch you? Did you pitch them? What did that look like? Yeah, no. So I was like, I told you, I Atlanta to film this magazine show, which was like my dream job. I was so excited about it. And I guess I got on radar of Bravo because I had no intention on becoming a housewife. Never thought I'd be a real house of Atlanta because I lived in Austin. Like even when I was filming here, we still had our home in Austin. I was commuting, you know, Ross and Deuce would come for a month. They would go back. So I wasn't technically living in Atlanta at the time. And so one of the producers reached out to me and asked me if I'd be interested in the, fr- this, the first time they reached out. I told her I wasn't living here. I said, I don't have a home in Atlanta. So thank you, but I have to pass. And so they actually came back a second time. Um, and when they came back the second time, the show that I was on had been canceled due to COVID and just not being able to find any a home for it and all kinds of stuff. And I wanted to come to Atlanta anyway. And I thought, you know what, this could be a new great opportunity to be in front of a new audience um, and to share a lot of things that I'm doing. And so, yeah, they approached me, approached me twice. 
And the second time it all worked out. Okay, a new sponsor here. I'm really excited to introduce Sidekick Tool to you all. I first heard about Sidekick Tool from Emily Enfield's Instagram, and I've always wondered how well it truly works. Well, now I know it works really well. So too often runners will ignore the red flags and keep training through pain until it develops into a chronic injury and sidekick develops recovery tools for runners so that you can heal from your injury quicker and get back to doing what you love. Okay. So if you're suffering from plantar fasciitis, shin splints, IT band tightness, or even knee pain, muscle scraping therapy works by breaking up blocked vessels to heal stressed tissue in your body. It's a safe, effective injury prevention and injury relief tool that's more precise than a foam roller or a massage gun. With Sidekick, you can get the benefits of a massage, but at home and in minutes, okay? So they have the Curve, the Swerve, and the Echo, three different types of tools that will help you with your muscle recovery. Go to sidekicktool.com and the code for 15% off your order is IHA. That stands for I'll have another. IHA for 15% off your order. Go to sidekicktool.com and use the code IHA for 15% off your order. All right, friends, back to the show. Wow, that is so fun. Well, and it gives you such a huge platform to share about Mommy Nation. Do you talk yeah. about that on the show at all? Yes. Okay. Oh, yes. And and the one thing I have to say that I have loved so much about the Housewives platform is that they really do want to celebrate all the things that you're doing. You know, it really does give you an opportunity to show family, to show your work, to show your projects. And so they get super excited to come and see like what we're developing and how it's how it's going and show the audience kind of that journey of our businesses. And so this season we have our huge our first Mommy Nation Gives brunch um, and it was epic. Like it was one of my favorite tapings. The girls came, they showed it was really, really incredible. So yeah, it's been a really good opportunity for me to share the Mommy Nation platform and hopefully continue to grow the platform to be a resource to moms all over the world. Okay. Tell us what Mommy Nation is. Absolutely. So Mommy Nation is a blog platform and virtual community specifically focused on supporting black moms on their motherhood journey. And so when I became a mom in 2017, I wanted to be a mom more than anything. <laughs> And I had resources, support, all the things. And I struggled. I struggled in the first couple of years of being a mom and just going through all of the things, all of the life changes. It was really hard on me. And I thought to myself, man, like, I wonder how other women are surviving that maybe don't have a partner who don't have resources. And right around the time that I launched Mommy Nation, we were going through that social uprising. George Floyd had just been murdered. And I just felt very sensitive to the experiences that not just moms, but especially black moms were having in America. And, um, you know, black moms are four times more likely to die during childbirth. There's just a lot of disparities that are unfortunately 
the reality for black moms. And so I created this blog. Initially, it was just meant for us to share our stories. So I had 25 moms writing about their birthing experiences and their motherhood experiences and just all the things. And it has now blossomed into this huge community. We have 150,000 followers on social media. We've had over a million views on the blog platform. We do fit mommy challenges where we inspire moms to move and to work out. Mommy 2.0, where we're helping them mentally cope with motherhood. We, we have merch. We've just, it's just evolved into all of these things. And it's just been such a blessing to hopefully enrich the lives of moms all over the world. That is so, so cool. I mean, I think that it's like motherhood is one of those things where it's like you feel like you're never alone, yet you're very lonely at the same time, especially yeah. in those early stages. So to have yeah. that community, that's so amazing. That is the perfect way to describe it, Lindsay. And, you know, it's, it's, I remember feeling that deeply in the beginning, and that's how I used to express it myself. Um, but it's true. It's one of those things where you're technically not alone, but it can feel very lonely in the early stages of motherhood. And so having community, having support, having women saying, you're not alone, you got this one day at a time, you know, really helps to, to make it just a little bit easier. Okay. But I love that you noticed the need, like you, you felt it for yourself and, you had the resources, yeah. like you have the support. When you yeah. had the idea, yeah. how do you go from idea to doing? Because sometimes mm -hmm. that can feel really overwhelming and you're like, oh, I'm just one person. Like, did you just go? Right. Yeah. I mean, I remember having the vision for it and there was an organization or company or a brand, a blog called Scary Moms. Oh, yeah. Scary Moms. Yeah. And I remember doing a lot of, yeah, doing a lot of research on this woman and she was just one woman who... I think felt the same way and started writing about her own experiences and ended up being this incredible resource for so many women. And so I was inspired by her blog. And I remember talking to my dad about it over and over and over again. And he's like, on March 4th, you're going to march forth with this idea. And so I launched this thing March 4th, four years ago. Um, and like I said, I didn't, I, I wasn't sure what would happen. It was really just meant to be just a place where people could write, just write about your experiences so other women can read about it and hopefully feel heard and seen and supported. And like I said, it's blossomed into so much more than that since we started. Here comes your dad again, being that guy, being that mentor and that supporter. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah, yeah, always, always. Okay, so if, if people do want to check out Mommy Nation, Mommy Nation, is it .com? Yep, it's mommy with an I, so M-O-M-M-I, nation.com. Where um, you can check out the blog, you can follow us on Instagram. We always share all the things that we're doing on Instagram. So we have a huge community there. So on Instagram and of course online. I'm so excited. I started following when I started prepping for this interview. So I'm excited to keep following along and seeing Yay, what you guys thank are doing. You. <laughs> um, okay, let's get into the running. Four time. Let's do yeah, it. Yeah, four time Olympic gold medalist. Are you a 12 time world champion? It's really hard to find that number. I know. And it's so funny because every time someone asks me, I'm like, is it nine or 10? I, I mean, I have to like stop and like <laughs> But it's somewhere in that ballpark because I won a okay. lot of relays. I won indoors and I won outdoors. And so I think that's why it's always a little bit tricky to add up. But yeah, I had. Good success at the world championships and at the Olympics. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, for the common folk who aren't like big track and field fans, everybody holds the Olympics mm -hmm. to this standard. But if you're a fan, you know that world champions right. are like almost as big of a deal, yeah. if not as big of a deal. Right below it. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, the world championships are huge for us. Then they're every two years. So it gives you an opportunity to chase it more frequently than the Olympics. And, you know, yeah, if you're inside the sport, you know just how special it is to be a world champion as well. Okay, so Athens Olympics, Beijing Olympics, London Olympics, four by four gold medal, open 400 gold medal at London, and then Beijing as well. That's a bronze. Right. Let's talk about those Olympic experience. I mean, you were so young when you went to Athens. And I mean, always that anchor on the four by four, huh? Yeah, yeah. You know, I was very fortunate um, very early on, starting in Paris, actually, in 2003, when I was just 18, a freshman in, in college, to get that anchor leg. And I remember I was meant to run second in Paris. And um, and the night before the race, our coach knocks on my door and she says, I'm going to make you the anchor. And I was like, OK. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, you know, she said, I think that you're built for it. I think you're ready. We're going to get you a lead. And all you got to do is hold on. And I was like, OK, done. No problem. And I remember in 2003, I got the stick. exact. So the, the Russians were actually ahead of us. And they kind of bobble the stick right going into the exchange. And I grab the stick and I get a like an inch lead ahead of the Russians um, in 2003. And the Jamaicans were probably about 23 meters behind us. And I remember just running for my life and, you know, helping us to win gold in Paris. And I kind of set the precedence for me to go on to, to run anchor the majority of my career because they saw that poise that I had at such a young age to, to win gold at my first world championship. So I'm grateful I had that opportunity. And, um, and then, you know, just brought me a lot of joy um, and great moments throughout my career. So many questions popped in my head as you were talking about that. First of all, the pressure of being the anchor, does that feel like a lot more than the other legs? Yes, 100%. 100% because the, ang- the the entire race falls on you. It doesn't matter what happens in the first three legs. If you don't hold the lead or regain <laughs> the lead, then it really doesn't matter. And so, yeah, there's a lot of pressure on the anchor leg. And I think that not everyone can handle it. I think that there are champions who still opt to not run the anchor leg because they just don't like the pressure of, of the team. And so 100%, you definitely feel that burden when you walk out and you know that you're the final leg of this team. You better bring home that gold medal. (laughs) Okay, you also mentioned the Jamaicans, and I'm super curious what that's like being Jamaican, competing for Team USA, obviously being um, American as well. Like, what's it like when you're running next to the Jamaicans, knowing that's like your heritage? Yes, yes. You know, in the beginning, it was a little bit difficult for me. Um, And I had a really tough experience at my first World Juniors when I competed for Team USA on Jamaican soil. Um, And I wrote about it in the book where you mentioned you read Chasing Grace. And I talk about how difficult that experience was for me when the fans booed me when I came out um, in the Team USA gear. Um, and it took me a long time to deal with that, you know, disappointing the Jamaican audience and Jamaican fans. Um, and then eventually I realized that, you know, that was more just love. Like they really just wanted me to be there and I was able to kind of turn into a positive. And also towards the end of my career, I felt a lot of love from the Jamaicans as well. I think they always appreciated and respected that I was always back in Jamaica and I gave back to Jamaica and all those things. But to be honest, Lindsay, when I was on the track with them, I always, I really enjoyed it. Like I, th- I felt like they always pushed us and I had a lot of respect for 
what I know that their experiences might have been in Jamaica to get to where they were and, you know, how hard it is for many of us to find this level of success. So I just always felt a lot of love and great appreciation. And I always felt like they made us better. They made me better. And I appreciated that. You mentioned your book, Chasing Grace. Everybody go pick it up. It's been a while, though. It's been out for a few years. Yeah, it's been out. Yeah, I wrote it right after I, I, I retired. And it was just amazing to be able to kind of close that chapter of my life in that way to, to, you know, have it there permanently written about. And, you know, so even my son and my hopefully future, you know, my future grandkids and stuff can read about it. So it was a really special time in my life when I wrote that book. That is one of the most beautiful things about a book is having that for the generations to come in your family. I also think about that with interviews like this because I'm like, how cool is it for your future grandkids to be able to hear your voice telling your story that I, that feels so special to me. I heard you on a podcast in 2018, right after your book came out and it was the happy hour with Jamie Ivey, which do you remember being on the show? Yes, of course. Well, so that was the first podcast I ever listened to and like way back in the day. And that's the podcast that made me want to start a podcast. And when I heard you on the show, I was like, I want her on my show. Like I'm the running podcast. Get her on my show. So for this to come to fruition now is really exciting for me. Full circle moment. Yes, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, but anyway, you in the book, Chasing Grace, you know, and I think that's why you were on Jamie's show. You were kind of like doing your book media stuff. Um, you get really vulnerable yeah. and you share a lot. And I'm curious, like, mm-hmm. how you decided, like, I'm going to give this to the world now and why? Yeah. Well, you know, I thought that um, if I was going to write something, I wanted it to be real and authentic and raw. And I think a lot of times people think that the road to gold is paved in gold, like it's an easy journey. And when you have this talent, you are excused from life experiences. And that's just not the case, you know, like everyone else, we go through really difficult times and we have tough challenges. And so I just felt like if I was going to put something out there, I wanted it to be something that was real, that would hopefully benefit the reader um, and that there would be people who would identify with my struggles, but at the end of it, really feel inspired. Like in spite of whatever you go through, if you work hard, if you believe in yourself, you will achieve your dreams. And so it wasn't easy. Um, You know, I really was very prayerful about it. And um, at times I was really anxious about sharing people reading it. But ultimately, I, I felt like it was the right decision. And a lot of a lot of women especially reached out and really thanked me for sharing so openly and vulnerably um, so many parts of my story. You, Your faith is like a really, obviously, if anybody reads the book, they'll see that this is like a thread throughout your whole story. Um, what does your faith life yeah. look like now? Um, you know, a, I... I I am as close to God as I think I've ever been um, and in a different way. Um, I think that um, I've been very blessed to like, you know, have great people in my life who have always poured into me and I've been a member of some great churches and, you know, when COVID happened, it kind of shifted our lives and we had to figure out how to still have um, that experience with God, uh, mainly on our own, right? We could still watch sometimes, but it was just very different. And so, you know, I've really tapped into, 
you know, having that personal experience and personal journey with God that has been very fulfilling and enriching in my life. And I just see him show up in so many ways. Um, and yeah, so I, you know, I still always know that everything in my life is working together for my good. Um, I know that everything I have is a gift from God. And I just always have a lot of gratitude around all the things that I get to do. So can we talk about the two th- the Beijing Olympics and your circumstances around that with your, yeah, your pregnancy and your abortion and coming out yeah. about that part of your story when you had told so few people, how did that feel? Like, were you scared of judgment? How did that feel? Oh, yeah. I mean, I was, I was extremely <laughs> scared to share that because obviously, I mean, my dad didn't know. And as you've talked about so many times already on this podcast, my dad was one of my closest friends, you know, not just my father, but a huge influence in my life and like a, like one of my best friends. And we were, you know, I shared everything with him and I didn't even share this with him. Um, but like I said, I was very prayerful about, you know, what was the point of writing this book if I wasn't going to share things that were hard? Um, and so it was difficult when I shared the story The I got a lot of backlash from people who, you know, felt like this is, this is where they draw the line, right? Like this is, you've crossed that line and, um, mainly men, a lot of, a lot of men had a lot to say, (laughs) um, about it, but, um, but I was, I was grateful that I did share it. And so I will share a little bit now, because obviously I'm sure your listeners, most of your listeners may not have read the book and may not know what we're talking about, but and um, in 2008, I was uh, favored to win gold. I was by far the most consistent and best quarter miler in the world. Um, and I had won every race leading up to the Olympics. And right before I left for Beijing, I found out I was pregnant. And um, I was with my now husband. We had been together for about five years. We were engaged. We weren't married yet. And I knew I eventually wanted to have a family, but I wasn't ready. We both weren't ready. We were just starting out our careers. My husband was in the NFL. Um, I was still a young professional in track and field and um, I wasn't ready, but I was also a Christian woman who never thought I would have an abortion. You know, like for me, that was also the line I had drawn for myself. Like when you cross this line and you know, you've gone too far. And so um, I remember the day before um, leaving for Beijing, I had an abortion. And in the book, I talk about how I literally felt like I left a piece of my soul in that clinic. Um, And it was awful. You know, it was really hard for me. Um, So not only physically, obviously, you're supposed to take, I think, two weeks off not doing anything. And I board a plane and start training the next day because I can't tell my coach, you know, I'm I'm one of the faces of Team USA and I'm, I'm there to win gold. And so... Physically, I was beaten down, um, but I think even more so, I was spiritually and emotionally um, torn. And so I stepped on that track that day, um, and I just didn't feel worthy of being an Olympic champion. You know, and I always say I don't take anything away from Christina Rugu, who is the Olympic champion from 2008, because she ran a great race. But, um, you know, I just I felt like I um, I just didn't run my best because I wasn't present enough to go out there and and give my best. And so it was really hard. And um, I share in the book my first experience where I literally felt God like in person, like it was the most beautiful experience of my life. And 
it came after having that failure. I was um, going to go see my family and um, in, in China, and I didn't want to go back to the village because at the Olympics, obviously, we stay in a village with just the athletes, and it's usually a, a great a great experience. But when you come back after after failing, there are a lot of questions, right? Everybody's like, what happened? And they're trying to be nice, but it's it's hard. And so I get on a bus to try to find my family at their apartment and I get lost in Beijing and I'm standing in the middle of the, I'm on the sidewalk and I feel physically, emotionally, spiritually lost. And now I'm physically lost in this huge place. And I literally felt the loving arms of God just wrap his arms around me. And he just told me I was forgiven. Mm-hmm. And um, it, you know, that, that was an experience of a lifetime, you know, where I think that we, a lot of times we don't understand what unconditional love looks like, you know, because we love with so many conditions. But it was that experience that helped me to understand that I am not um, the sum total of my worst decisions, that I'm, you know, make mistakes, but we can be redeemed. And um, and I was able to forgive myself for that and, and move forward. So that was a lot. <laughs> but... You know, that's what I wanted to share in the book, because I know a lot of women who've had abortions who really struggle with the guilt of it, you know, and um, I think it's like one in four women or two in four is like the number is pretty high of women who have abortions or will have abortions. And so I thought it was important to give a face to that and a voice to that and to give them some hope as well. Okay, so I have a question about that. I feel like it's a hard, weird question. Do you think you need it forgiven? Do I think I need the forgiveness? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I heard you on Emmanuel Ocho with um, the three other women. Yeah. With Roe versus Wade conversation. Yeah. And that was, by the way, so beautiful. I, I watched that, you know, like a year, whenever you guys put it out and, you know, before I even knew we'd have this interview. And yeah. at the time I was like, man, it would be a dream to yeah. interview her. But that conversation is <laughs> so challenging. And so when I was reading your story... I was just wondering, like, do you think it was wrong that you did that? Like, and, you know, I don't, I don't know. It's, and it's such a hard thing to talk about. Yeah. No, I, um, I still to this day wish that um, it's, a, it's a hard one, Lindsay, because on the one hand, I feel like it was the right decision for me at that time. But it went against who I wanted to be and who I feel like I am morally. And so I think that it's, it taught me a little bit about life. Like before that, I thought everything was black and white. Like you go left, you go right. There's no great, you know, it's very little gray area. But this taught me that sometimes there is gray area. And um, you don't know what the best decision is. And you don't know what, you know, I don't know what my life would have been like if I did have the, you know, I don't know. I don't know, you know, what was right. But I certainly for the most part, feel like it wasn't the right choice. It didn't align with who I wanted to be and I needed to be forgiven. And Mm -hmm. when God showed me that, it allowed me to move forward in peace and to, you know, keep my head high and to understand that we all fall short of God's goodness and God's grace. And so, you know, I'm just human. But yes, I definitely, definitely needed to be forgiven. And um, I think that my morals are more important to me than, you know, everything else. So in that sense, I felt like I made the wrong choice. Well, this is really beautiful and it is a really hard thing to talk about. And I, you know, I think that conversation yeah. you all had with Emmanuel was very eye opening to a lot of people and it just really humanizes 
the yeah. what what we're talking about and and puts faces yeah. and feelings and lives behind stories yeah. um so i yeah. i mean i'm so glad you you all had that conversation and thank you for sharing i i think that um it's hard to say like i think i needed forgiven maybe it's not yeah no i think i think i think it is a hard thing to wrap your mind around at times but um when I received it, I knew it's what I needed. So it's easy now for me to say, yes, I needed that. Um, but, um, but yeah, I think for most people, it's something that you don't think about, that you don't, you certainly don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think it was a great question. Yeah. Um, okay. So you get your redemption at the 2012 London Olympics. You get your open 400 yes. <laughs> gold medal and... I'm so, sure that felt yeah. like, I mean, because you've had gold medals, but you didn't have that 400 gold mm -hmm. medal. So like, what does it feel to look in the mirror and say like, I'm the fastest woman in the freaking world? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's the best feeling in the world. <laughs> um, especially when you've dreamt of it your whole life. You know, I actually wrote for a class assignment when I was nine that I was gonna be an Olympic champion. And so to chase that dream for the majority of my life and to face obstacles and to fail, you know, and then to finally achieve it, I don't think that there are any superlatives or any words that can really express how it feels to run into your fairy tale ending. It was, it was just, it was amazing. And I remember being up on the podium and people say it all the time. And it's true. It's like your whole life flashes before you're like, Oh, you think of all the things. And it's so like, it's so emotional. And it's like the national anthem is playing for me. And it's like, it's just, it's really, it's hard. It's hard to describe it. It's, it's right up there with like giving birth and like getting married. It's like, you know, it's like, those moments that you never forget. Um, and it makes everything so worth it because, you know, you, you, you set your mind to something and then you achieve it. It's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. This episode of All Have Another Podcast is supported by Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens will help with gut health, help with energy levels, and optimize your immune system. It's kind of like an all-in-one fix. With 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole foods, sourced ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens. AG1 is a small micro habit with big benefits. Is one thing you can do every single day to take care of yourself. And it contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, or artificial anything while still tasting good. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D, and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash Lindsay to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right, friends, back to the show. So you were given this like God-given talent and then it's paired with like the... Mm -hmm sheer desire to be the best, to be a world champion, to be an Olympic yeah. champion. Do you ever wonder yeah. like, why did, why did I get this gift? Like why, why did I have this like tenacity and drive? What's my, what's the purpose beyond the medals? Yeah, that's another great question. Um, I don't think I've ever asked why. I think I've always just 
been so grateful that God chose me to give this gift to. And the more life I live is the more I see it as a foundation for me to continue to do good work in the world. You know, at one point when I was young, it was like all the track, like it was like, this was the end all be all, this was it. And then, you know, when I retired and I started to look out into this big, beautiful world, I'm like, there's so much more for me to do. And I'm so fortunate that I get to use my track and field prowess as a springboard to be able to continue to do great things. So I don't really ask why. I'm just more like, thank you, God. This Mm. was cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Being a role model is huge, though. And, you know, you wrote about in the book when you found out about Marion Jones not being a clean athlete. And I'd love to hear you talk about how important that piece is to you and being a role model to these young women coming up behind us. Yes, yes. So that was a really um, tough time for me when we all found out that Marion Jones wasn't clean. And I think because for me in particular, and I know my experiences are very unique to, you know, like the way the world perceived Marion. And when I talk to the average person who is not really a big track fan, it's a lot different. But for me, as a track athlete who looked up to Marion Jones so much and literally like I, when she went for five, I went for five at my state meet. Like I went for five gold medals because I thought this was possible because of her. Mm. And I used to defend her at like every track meet when people were like, oh, she's not clean. I'm like, are you crazy? Like she was talented from high school. And because her story, I was hoping was my story. And so I was crushed. I was crushed when I found out that she wasn't clean. And I was committed after that, that if I were able to get to that level and be as successful, I would never disappoint my fans. Like if people were cheering for me, rooting for me and love to watch me compete, I would do it the right way. And Lindsay, you know, I was thinking about this other day. I haven't had a lot of conversations about this. Um, but now that I'm out of the sport, I realized that even inside the sport, there's some gray area, right? There are people who have this mentality that, okay, well, if the legal number of our testosterone number is 10 and I'm at a five, I can get up to a 10 and that's still okay. That's, I'm completely opposite of that. Like I wanted to, like, I literally would juice, (laughs) you know, my dad was juicing all the green stuff, red stuff. And I was doing it. I wasn't even taking vitamins. I was always so afraid of that maybe being tainted at the, at where it was made. And so, you know, I, I was always the extreme opposite of, of these athletes who use performance enhancing drugs or even the athletes who would kind of toe that line in the gray area and get themselves up to the approved level, which I didn't even know was a thing until after I finished running, you know. And so it was really important to me, really, really important to me to just do it the right way, win, lose or draw. I just wanted to be able to look myself in the mirror Um, and know that I did it the right way and that nobody could ever come and take my medals away from me. So, you know, this is not meant to bash Marion Jones because, you know, I understand that we make poor choices at times, but it was, it was very pivotal for me in my decision-making, um, and really wanting to be the best role model on the track that I could be. Yeah. It doesn't seem like there's any reason why 
you shouldn't be clean though. Like you know what you're putting into your body. You have the power of what you put into your body. Exactly. No, exactly. And and that was a thing for me. It was always like I knew that no matter what who told me or whatever, I was going to be responsible at the end of the day. And so I played it extremely safely um, to make sure that I never got into any trouble. And, and you know, if, 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 if I lost, I lost. And if I won, I knew I did it the right way. So, you know, when you do decide to hang it up, I know you had some, some injury struggles before the 2016 Olympic trials. And yeah. that's really where it was time to, to hang it yeah. up for you. Like talk us through that emotional side of that after your entire life from seven years old has been dedicated to this. Yes, it is. Um, it is one of those things that I think is rarely talked about um, because it's a minority of people that experience transitioning from elite sports to life after sports. But it was, it's really hard. It's really hard because your identity is wrapped up in what you do. And no matter how you try <laughs> to say that you're more than an athlete, you're more than this, it's very hard to walk away from something that you've loved for so long that you put so much time and effort into. Um, and then unfortunately you just can't do it anymore. Like it doesn't matter how great you are. There will come a point where you can no longer run. You can no longer jump. You can no longer dribble. You can no longer tackle. It's just over. And, um, and so I think for me though, because um, my husband had retired a couple years prior and I had a lot of friends in the sport retired before I did, I tried to prepare myself mentally and spiritually and physically for this transition. And I was, you know, I said this prayer all of 2016 where I thank God for giving me this blessing, but knowing that every blessing isn't meant to last a lifetime. And I, you know, surrender this gift back to you. And it really helped me. It really helped me to let it go and to know that this is normal. Every single athlete will be on this journey. And I wanted to figure out how could I use the skills that I had learned on the track to continue to contribute to the world um, at a high level. And so that was my goal. Like, how do I transition smoothly and successfully? And how do I use this, this track, um, my track accomplishments, as a springboard towards doing other great things? When you are commentating the Olympics and things like that, what is that like? Like, do you see yourself in those starting blocks? And, and when you're talking about these athletes, yeah, t tell us oh, yeah. about that experience. Yeah, I think that that was actually the best way for me to transition from the track was to still be able to contribute to the sport in this very special way. And so, you know, I, I brought to the booth the enthusiasm that I've always had for the sport, the dedication and, you know, being determined to focus on the details. Um, and also, I think what I, I brought to the booth, what I always wanted to hear for myself, I tried to be very positive. I tried to make it plain to the viewers what they're seeing because a lot of times what these athletes are doing are so phenomenal <laughs> that you know because they make it look easy because it comes naturally for them you know i just want the viewer to understand like sometimes you're seeing superhuman efforts and i want them to enjoy that so it's been such a joy to be able to transition to the booth and to share with the viewers what these athletes might have gone through before they got to the track at the Olympics or what they might be feeling in the blocks or 
how how this disappointment sits with them. Like, you know, like a lot of people can't relate to someone going out to the track who's, you know, has the potential to win gold, but wins a silver and they're crying. <laughs> you know, the average person is like, they're the second best person. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> they wanted to get that gold medal and this is crushing for them. And um, in time it will be okay. But right now this is a you know, difficult experience for them. So it's been a lot of fun, Lindsay, for me to be able to, to be the voice of the athletes and, um, and try to bring that enthusiasm and joy that I have for this sport. <laughs> What a value you do that is that you bring, though, that I mean, your experience in Beijing gives you the tangible life experience to say, I've been there. I know how they feel. Yeah, 100 percent. I was actually interviewing Rye Benjamin um, in Vegas last week. Uh, He won the silver medal in the men's 400 meter hurdles in the best 400 meter hurdle race in history. Right. He broke the world Mm -hmm. record, but he was second to Karsten Warholm, who ran 45 seconds in the 400 hurdles. And he was talking about his disappointment and how he literally felt like he was going to have a panic attack. <laughs> like his heart was racing so fast because he had given this valiant effort and had come up short. And as we were having the conversation, I was like, I get it. Mm. I, I know how that feels to dream about crossing the finish line first for four years and, and it just not happening. So yeah, it's really been a, you know, it's like you go through things at the time. You're like, why is this happening? And then you have moments like that where it's like, wow, like I'm having this incredible human experience with someone because of that, you know, traumatic experience. And it just felt well worth it. What's the best thing you ever learned from your sports psychologist? Ooh, (laughs) So I learned a lot from my sports psychologist, Dr. Don Corley. Um, but I think the one of the best things I learned that I still use as a, a tool today is how to transition to emotional neutral. <laughs> and what he talks about with that is that a lot of times in life, we are getting so worked up and having all of these emotions around events that haven't happened yet. <laughs> Right. We're like fretting about these things that are to come based on this or that. And what he taught me to do is to shift to emotional neutral, have no feelings, good or bad about the situation until it arises. And I think that that's one of the best tools that I've gotten throughout my life. Like when something is going on with Deuce, okay, first let's find out what it is. And then, you know, as opposed to like, oh my God, what if it's all, you know, it's like you get so worked up about all these things. And most of those eventualities Mm -hmm. never happen. (laughs) It's just all in our minds. And so I think that he's probably kept a lot of stress off of me by helping me with that tool. And hopefully I'll age a little bit slower (laughs) because of him. But he taught me a lot about um, visualization and about, you know, being an emotional neutral and trusting, trusting the work that I have done and just so much. But I feel like that's one of the tools that I'm very grateful that I learned from him. Oh, emotional neutral. I need that with my like health anxieties. Like I'm like, if if you can stay neutral, gosh, save you so much stress. Yeah. What about Coach Hart? What's the most important thing he taught you? Uh, Coach Hart taught me patience. Coach Hart taught me patience. He was always, when I was with Coach, I always, I want to win the 400 and the 200 right now. And he's like, Sonia, like everything happens in time. And he's like, you got to be patient on this journey um, because he, like my dad, believed that I was going to have the success. I was going to be the Olympic champion. 
but he just knew it wasn't gonna, it doesn't always happen overnight. And so he always told me, just be patient, enjoy the journey, and you know, the, the, good, the, the best days are always ahead of you. So I would say he really taught me to have patience on my journey um, and to like enjoy it. Like, you know, he's like, have fun, like you're not having fun anymore, have fun, have fun. And, and those, those, those things really helped me, I think, to be successful in 2012. All right, here's our end of the podcast questions. Okay. I'm sad because I have more, but we got to go. <laughs> but man, this has been such a joy like and an honor to be able to spend this hour with you. Oh, yes. You too. Thank you. What is something professionally or personally that you haven't done? You've done a lot <laughs> that you'd like to do. <laughs> so I've started to have this new dream of doing and I haven't said it out public yet and I'm usually not anxious about this stuff because I'm like a big goal setter but I think I want to do a little acting yes I think I want to do a little acting yes I've been doing all these skits and reels and I've done a little acting class in the past and I'm like you know what I think I would like to potentially start doing some scripted stuff and maybe start doing a little bit of acting so you heard it here first <laughs> breaking news Breaking news on I'll have another. I think that's one of the things that I want to uh, start start doing. I love that you said it, even though it made you a little anxious, because wh why do we feel that way? Like, because we feel like imposter or like what? Why? Do, it's scary to say something that we've never done before that we want to do that. Yeah. And I've never had that. And I was it's so funny because with my mommy nation group, I always talk about do it scared, do it anyway. And I've always been this person who I don't care what people think. I'll just do it. But for some reason, with this acting thing, I feel a little bit like anxious. So I'm having another life experience and now I can share with people. But I do think it is a little bit of imposter syndrome and, you know, a little bit of like insecurity about will it happen? So should I wait before to say anything? But I pushed through it anyway, Lindsay. That's right. That's right. I love it. You were doing something else the other day. I don't know. You, I saw something on your Instagram and it was like, I'm not going to like get a logo. I'm not going to do all these things. I'm just going to say I'm going to do right. it. Yep, I've been doing my invest in you with me in 2023, but I got I was out for like two or three weeks. I wasn't well. I was very sick. Um, and so I'm going to get back on it next week. But I told myself I'm just going to keep going. It's going to be a little messy, but I'm going to go for it. <laughs> yeah, we would never do anything if we waited till we had like the exact perfect thing done. Until it was perfect. Yes, for sure. OK, what's the best, most recent book you've read? Oh my goodness, I'm embarrassed. I haven't read a good book in a while. The last good book I read was like The Power of the a Praying Power of a Praying Wife, and that's been a little while. But I just haven't found the time. I'm like always ripping and running. So I need a good recommendation. So I can the book I want to read, there's a book that just came out called The Urgent Life by Bozma St. John's, who I just love to death. She is this phenomenal woman who has been CMO of all these great brands and lost her husband to cancer and has really just repositioned her life and her family. So I'm actually going to get that book and that's going to be the next book I read. But um, I just need to find the time. <laughs> That's a great suggestion. I love it. Um, yes. Two more questions. Mm -hmm. Who's someone sure. fun, motivating, or inspiring you'd like to have coffee, tea, or cocktail with? Ooh. Um, I, would love, I would love to sit down with Tyler Perry. Mm. I have been recently seeing him a lot on my timeline, and I just feel like I love the person that he is. Like, you know, a big dreamer who has achieved so much success, but is constantly giving back. I just 
love that. So I think it'd be super cool to sit with him and talk more about his life and all of his experiences and just his business acumen, all the things. So Tyler Perry. <laughs> this is probably a dumb, weird question, but have you met Oprah? So I met Oprah briefly when we, after the 2012 Olympics and uh, 08, we got to go on her show. But in 2012, it was the craziest thing, Lindsay. I'm sitting there, so they had us like at rehearsals, and she just walks right up to me and she just starts chatting, and I'm like, "Hi, <laughs> Oprah!" And everybody's looking like, "Do you know her?" I'm like, and she just started talking to me, and it was just like the nicest thing. So we you know we've met briefly, and it was really, really fun. Oh my gosh, that's awesome! That is like my dream person to. I don't know. Every time I see her Instagram stuff, and she's got all these people sitting at her dinner table, I'm like. What would it be like to sit at Oprah's yeah. dinner table? Yeah. Oh yeah, no, I agree. She would be she would be someone I'd love to sit and chat with too. Uh, okay, here's the last question. What's your last message to leave with our audience today? Um, I would if if I could leave one message with your audience, it would be to never give up on your dreams. And I know it sounds cliche. But I think that more people do it um, than not. And so if I could just encourage you that if you have some fire burning inside of you, if there's something that you know that God has blessed you uniquely to do, go for it. Even if it doesn't look like it's going to happen today, I am living proof <laughs> that if you keep on going, that it can happen. Sonia Richards-Ross, thank you so much. Thank you, Lindsay. Thanks for having me. This was amazing. It was such a treat to talk to you and um, to have this opportunity to share my story with your audience. Um, and I hope we get a chance to connect again. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening today. Thank you, Sonia, for sharing your story on the podcast and being open and vulnerable about all of it. You all can find Sonia on Instagram. She is Sonia Richie Ross over there. Uh, learn more about Mommy Nation. You can find Mommy Nation on Instagram or just go to mommynation.com. And of course, go tune in and watch her on The Real Housewives of Atlanta. How fun is that? You can find me personally. I am lindsayhine626 on Instagram, at lindsayhine on Twitter. And we have a Facebook group. I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine. You can learn more about this podcast or any of the shows in our network when you go to sandyboyproductions.com. Thanks so much for being here and we'll see you Tuesday and Friday next week. We are closing out our coaching series next week with an episode with the one and only Diljeet Taylor, head coach at BYU. I'm really excited to uh, share that episode with you all. Have a great rest of your day and we'll see you next week.